God's going to speak to somebody. How many of you need to hear the Lord in your life? You need a word from God. One of the things that, that I learned early on as a Christian, having gone from a hardcore atheist to one night meeting the King of Glory, the living God, was that God speaks to us. And I don't care if he's reproving me. I don't care if he's rebuking me. I don't care if he's encouraging me. As long as he is speaking to me, because his word is the bread of life. And it's a lamp to my feet. I want to speak a very simple message, very basic message. It's one of the first things, perhaps, in the, just the first weeks, months of our Cassius and I walking with the Lord that we learned. It was part of our believer's kit, if you will. And we learned about carnal thinking and how dangerous carnal thinking is and what really, what is it? And so Romans 8, 5 through 8 says, For those who live according to the flesh have their minds shaped by the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds shaped by the things of the Spirit. For the outlook of the flesh is death, but the outlook of the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind of the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to the law of God, nor is it able to do so. For who those that are in the flesh cannot please God. And that grabbed me early on. And I found it to be true in my life. That when I was being guided and let myself be guided by carnal thinking, I couldn't hear what the Lord was saying. My mind resisted the wisdom of God. So I want to begin this morning by saying to you that the greatest inhibitor to a free and healthy spirit-filled soul is carnal thinking. There is no greater enemy that you have to your spiritual maturity in life, to truly having a free and a filled soul than your own carnal thinking. It is the greatest of all enemies. Billy Graham wrote, <coughs> carnality means, and this was his definition, living life consumed by satisfying fleshy desires, feeding selfishness while serving the body and starving the soul. Let me share with you a couple of definitions I went ahead and bothered to take from the, some of the dictionaries that are out available to us. From the Collins Dictionary, carnality or carnal thinking is defined as feelings and desires that are sexual and physical rather without any spiritual element. Let me say that again because I thought that was really well worded. Feelings and desires that are sexual and physical without any spiritual element. So rather than us thinking that carnal thinking is just anytime we think about physical things, whether sexual or physical or material, that that's carnal thinking, that isn't so. It's when doing so is done without any spiritual element guiding us. Dictionary.com says, carnality is the quality or state of being merely temporal or worldly with lack of spiritual vitality or maturity. And another dictionary, I just grabbed this phrase because I thought it was so perfect. 
defined carnality as the opposite of righteousness. I thought, wow, that really, to people that don't have any idea what righteousness is, they wouldn't know what carnality is. But when you know what righteousness is, you know what carnality is because it is the opposite of righteousness. In 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he says, Brethren, I could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there is envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So we can see in the scripture itself there is a definition of what God considers carnality to be. It, just hold on. Just listen. Yes, Give me a promise. Rest of the message, not a word. Yes, okay, good. Um, so the biblical principle of carnality is simply being guided and controlled by physical and worldly ideas, solving problems with worldly solutions. And Paul expected the Corinthian church to be wise, to be spiritual, to be spiritual-minded. He said, but I've still got to talk to you as babes in Christ because you, even though you're saved, you're still thinking and analyzing and evaluating your life according to the world. So, regardless of their emotional interest in God, the mind of a carnal thinker will always be hostile to the conviction of God's Spirit and His Word. 2 Timothy 3 and 5, Paul warns of a breed of people that will populate society in the day, in the hour, the last day, the hour that we live in, and describes them as having a form of godliness, but denying the power, the transforming power of God from such turn away. So Paul sees in the last day that society will be populated with people that are very emotionally attached to the idea or the concept of God, like to talk about God, probably fill churches, but they're very worldly. And it says they deny, Paul said they, they are carnal because they deny the transforming power of God. They love God, but they never change. They stay the same. Getting born again or getting saved or going to church or having a Bible, and none of those things actually change them. They never really experience transformation. Paul said, turn away from this example. Do not embrace it as your example. Now, over the years, I've heard the term carnal Christian. How many have heard that term before? So the, there are many people that hold the concept that there's such a thing as a carnal Christian. And <clears throat> the concept of the carnal Christian says that it is possible for people to become born again in Christ, but then proceed to live the rest of their lives in a completely carnal manner with no evidence of being born again or no evidence of being a new creation. And so we, we use that term to describe people 
who have, quote, come to the altar of God, gotten saved, quote, unquote, but they have never essentially changed. They are the same people in their behavior. And that concept, we put this label on it, is carnal Christian. Now, I'm not here today to argue theologically whether it is actually possible to be a carnal Christian or if that's just, if that's just a product of carnal thinking. But uh, I do want to present what the scripture says, and you can resolve that question yourself. When in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. Old things, the old things, have passed away, and behold, new things have come. So what is the characteristic of someone who is in Christ? Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. So the concept of the carnal Christian is an anomaly based in an unbiblical deception probably produced by carnal thinking because the carnal thinking mind wants to survive. Where would a doctrine, where would a concept like that come from? The carnal mind. carnal mind doesn't want to be kicked out. The carnal mind wants to live. The carnal mind wants to live in you. And so it's going to adopt any kind of interpretation it needs to of the scripture so that it leaves room for it to live and control your life. And you have to decide whether you're going to allow that. Am I going to allow myself to live by the concept that it's all right, I'm, I could be saved, but I could be a carnal Christian because there is such a thing. But the idea or the concept of a carnal Christian actually does not exist in the scriptures. The only thing that exists is somebody where the old has passed away and they are becoming new. Now, um, that doesn't mean that you or I have the right to judge whether somebody's becoming new fast enough. These are measures we measure ourselves with. Not measures that we go around measuring other people with, but they're measures that we use on ourselves. So let me share with you a couple of characteristics of carnal thinking. If you are plagued with a mind that is, for the most part, centered in carnal thinking, there are about four or five qualities or characteristics that are going to show up in your life. Number one, worldly-mindedness. Another characteristic of carnal thinking is a lack of spiritual growth, being stuck, stunted as a babe in Christ. Paul said to the Corinthians, I wanted, I came and I wanted to speak to you as mature Christians, but you were still carnal. A lack of spiritual discernment. The mind that is controlled by carnal thinking will always be incapable of discerning what God is saying and what God is doing. Here's a big one, divisiveness. I notice, I don't take all of my uh, pulse tests off of Facebook, but it's a pretty good place to get a, get a sense of where people's mind is, where the, both the Christian culture and the worldly culture, uh, where they mix, where they clash, and where people are at. And one of the things that I've noticed and has always been there since the church was born is divisiveness. But divisiveness is a fruit of carnal thinking. Nobody who thinks and behaves spiritually will be divisive. When Paul talked to the Corinthians, he said, I wanted to speak to you as spiritual, but 
I couldn't, you're still carnal. He literally was making the case pointing out that they were divisive. Some said, well, we're of Paul. Others said, we don't really care for Paul, we're of Peter. Others said, we like the teaching of Apollos. And that fracturing of the body of Christ into different theological perspectives, and then, it's okay to have differences of opinion, but then to become divisive, to segregate, to, to cast stones at one another with judgment and criticism, that is evidence of carnal thinking. Because God doesn't think like that. The Holy Spirit doesn't think like that. The Holy Spirit will recognize truth or the lack of truth. He'll be able to sift your opinion, your opinion, my opinion, our opinions, and see what's right and what isn't right in those opinions. But he won't be divisive about it. So when we see divisiveness, we're seeing the fruit of a carnal thinking mind. And the final one is hypocrisy. Of course, that's pretty simple. Um, if you are plagued with carnal thinking, there's going to be a pattern of hypocrisy in your life. You're going to claim one thing, I believe in God, I'm born again, I know Jesus, but your life is going to say something different. That's hypocrisy. And that is evidence of a problem, and the problem is, the root of it, the taproot, carnal, a mind that's not changed, carnal thinking. There's people who've been in church for years, and they not only have a Bible, they've got seven or eight of them. And uh, they read them, but they are as carnal as the day is long. Why? The mind has not been, so well, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about what, how to break that and why that is. So this is a struggle that we have all shared. All of us struggle with carnal thinking. There's not a one of us that doesn't struggle with carnal thinking. We all know what it feels like. As I've been talking up till now, there's not a one of you that has sat there and not felt sympathetic. Thought, yeah, well, I, I certainly know what that's all about. So this is a struggle we all share. But So my concern today is for the genuine Christian, the one who truly is born again, who is privately isolated, in turmoil with the carnality of their own mind. I believe that today we have a lack of the manifestation of the power and presence of God because largely our churches are populated with people to one degree or another that still think carnally. The carnal mind is the enemy of God. We read that in the scripture. The carnal mind will resist the presence of God. And so, today, my, my interest is to speak to the heart of those who are privately, quietly, because most sincere Christians, if they have a struggle with carnality in their thinking, they're not going to talk about it. It's a private struggle. It's something that they wish they could get a handle on, but they struggle with it. And unfortunately, if you struggle with it too long, it will convince you that it's you and that's the way you are, and it's all right, and it will take up residence and become part of your identity. Now, carnal thinking, when manifest, looks different in different people. If, if, if I were basically a carnal thinker, you would see certain manifestations of that in me, but if, if Giselle were a carnal thinker, which she's not, but if she were, you would see that manifest in different characteristics in her. If all of a sudden we live in Florida and lawns are a big thing, 
in Florida, aren't they? So if lawn maintenance were simultaneously abandoned, no more lawn maintenance, after a couple of months, some yards would sprout the aggressive growth of sexual immorality, others greed, while others tyranny, control, violence, those aggressive weeds would show up in people's yards, while other yards would sprout passive growth of weeds, weeds of insecurity, weeds of addiction, weeds of self-loathing, passive weeds. So all of us have carnal thinking that manifests a little different in each of our lives. But the net result is the same, is it eats out the inside of a believer and keeps them from experiencing the transforming promise that the Lord has given us that we will be new creatures in Christ. So regardless of the variety of its weeds, carnality is always looking to rule your mind, whether it's to push you into insecurity or push you into aggressive control. The reality is always the same. It wants to occupy your identity and it occupies the space that the authority of God's word is absent in. Where there's a lack of the authority of God's word in your mind, carnal thinking is there. It grows in those places. It cannot grow where the authority of God's word makes Jesus Lord of your thinking. It will not be able to grow there. In Luke chapter 11, 24 through 26, Jesus said this about evil spirits. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes out into the desert, searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns, and it finds that its former home is all swept and in order, meaning unoccupied. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they all enter into that person and live there so that the person is worse off than before. Now, even though he's talking about demonic oppression in a person's life, he's really in context talking about carnal thinking and the doors that it opens up in our mind. And so Jesus said, I can cast a demon out of somebody, but if they don't fill the void with the authority of God's word, if they don't take on the new identity of Christ and obey from their mind what God says about them, that spirit's coming back, bringing seven worse, and they're going to be seven times worse than they were before. I don't know about you, but I've witnessed that in my life, seeing it firsthand. The reason is demons... Thank you, Danny. So, demons depend on carnal thinking to gain access to people. They can't just kick the front door in and walk into somebody's life. Think about it. Of all the millions and billions of people on the planet, if the devil could just kick the front door into somebody's <laughs> life and possess them like we see the demoniacs in the Bible and people that really have demonic oppression in their life, everybody on the face of the earth would be stark raving mad. 
right? What, what prevents that? Because to one level or another, even sinners, even unsaved people, resist in their mind the worst kind of carnal thinking. They practice some kind of barrier of righteousness and of sanity. What's the big complaint about our culture today? It's not the issues between liberal versus conservative. Those, that tension has always been with us. But the reason things have exploded today is because we've gone beyond just uh, what, is, what it tends to be liberal, what tends to be conservative, and we've moved into insanity. Complete lies, complete unreality. And so you have a whole rising force of culture in our society that is simply thinking insane and defying the reason of the universe that God has created. And so what we are seeing is people opening their minds, opening their minds and throwing out those barriers of resistance, those filters, if you will. So demons depend on carnal thinking to gain access. But, listen to me, carnal thinking is defeated by the sword of the Spirit, which the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, is the Word of God. Carnal thinking is defeated by the authority of God's Word. Just as spirits cannot stand against the Word of God, the carnal thinking that invites them in, beds them, and feeds them cannot remain. It goes right out the minute the authority of God's Word begins to work in your life. Hallelujah. Psalm 19 and verse 7 says, The law or the word of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. What does that mean? It means transforming the mind. What is the element that God uses to transform our mind? The word of the Lord. God's word, when it is received as the word of authority from God, and we yield to it in obedience, it has a transforming effect. It converts the mind. It converts the soul. Romans 8 and 13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so anybody that has been in a struggle, in a battle with carnal thinking, knows that first. That should be part of your go-to kit that by the Spirit I can cast down carnal thinking and put to death the deeds of my body. How many of you have found out in your walk with the Lord that the desires of your flesh just don't go away? I got both hands up because even now while I'm preaching, I'm thinking about the pizza at home that is waiting for me. Isn't that terrible? It's just terrible. My mind this should be on totally Jesus. I shouldn't even be thinking about pizza. But the pepperoni and the bacon, I'm just you're probably thinking, what is wrong with him? Pepperoni, <laughs> bacon. But the point is that we all experience, we all experience that, um, that tendency of, of our mind to want to think carnally. And if we don't 
lift up the authority of God's word against it. It will simply plant itself and take on our identity. So God's word, the word of God contains the identity of the new creation, who you are in Christ. Where does that come from? That comes from the word of God. So when I became born again, I, I went to bed one night um, in, in March of 1971. I climbed into bed, an absolute hardcore atheist. I got up the next morning as a blood-washed child of God. Before I went to sleep, had this prayer, this visitation from God, turned my life over to him, and I was born again. And so there was a new identity working in me. But the problem is that my thinking had to be changed. And that process would depend on how willing I was to take my opinions, my thoughts that I had led my life with and that had guided my life, how open, how supple, how pliable would I be and willing to allow those ideas to be challenged by what the Word of God said, even if God's Word was completely diametrically opposed to how I thought and what I wanted to do. I, for one, have very strong flesh. I'm a very strong personality, strong individual. I'm not the kind of person that's just blown with every weed. Every time someone has an opinion, I'm going to go with that opinion. So I've, I've always been opinionated, strong-willed. But when I got saved, I realized one essential truth. I am wrong. I've been wrong. There is a God. When you go from being an atheist to being a, knowing that there's a God, it has an effect on you, like it did the Apostle Paul, who thought he was doing God's will, arresting Christians and putting them to death and putting them in prison. When the Lord knocks him off his horse and he says, Who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus, who you've been persecuting. <laughs> Immediately, what did Paul know? I am wrong. Right? What did Paul know? I am wrong. So all of my system of theology crumbles before the altar of God. I am essentially wrong. But you know, a lot of people became born again, gave their lives to Christ, and did not experience that essential, you are wrong. Your thinking is wrong. Your personality is wrong. Your character is malformed. And it needs to be laid on the altar of God and say, Lord, make me right. Make me right. But I know a lot of Christians who got saved and they simply use their experience as a Christian to make them more rigid and to confirm what they always believed about themselves. I'm right. I'm good. Because I don't do these things. The worst kind of carnal Christian that I know are ones that grew up with a belief in God, maybe in church or something, and never saw the need to challenge themselves and say, you stinker, you are wrong. Because they always thought, well, you know, I don't know if I even really need to get saved. I've, I've kind of, kind of, I've just sort of slid into the kingdom of God, you know. And so they see Jesus as an embellishment to their mind, you know. He's like the, he's like the, the pickle, and the condiments on the cheeseburger. I, you know, I pretty, pretty much got myself together here, and Jesus would just put the pickle on there and the mustard and ketchup, and then my life will be tasty. There's something. There's an advantage to being the kind of person I was. It was very easy for me to go, you, Nick, you are wrong. 
You are so wrong. You are so messed up. Look at the way you live. Look at what you do. It's very easy for me to go, Jesus, I'm broken. I'm messed up. See, God can work when you're like that. But when you're not, carnal thinking is ruling your mind and you don't even know it. That's the worst thing. About Praise God. Can I get an amen? amen. Oh, not that I need it because I'm going to go on anyway, but I just figured. <laughs> so Jesus, Jesus said this, the word of God contains the identity of you as a new creation with the transforming power to overthrow carnal thinking. And, and a verse, again, using the demon uh, analogy, I, I find in Luke chapter 11, verse 20. Jesus said, if I, with the finger of God, cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Notice what he says. The kingdom of God, the rule of Jesus Christ, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. If I cast out demons, what did he say he used to cast demons out? The phrase he used was the finger of God, which was an analogy, an analogy of the authority of God, the finger of God, God's authority. The specific point that God wants to make. When God gets his finger out, <laughs> listen to what he's saying. If God pulls his finger out, and you're praying, and God pulls his finger out, what he's about to say, you need to take it seriously, right? So what did Jesus say I used to cast out demons? The finger of God, the authority. No, you're wrong, you don't belong, you're out. So what is, what is that saying to us about carnal thinking? That if you want to break the pattern of carnal thinking in your mind, you have got to use the finger of God. You have got to get serious. You have got to find some authority. You've got to bow up your back, and you've got to make your carnal thinking your biggest enemy. Because if you keep treating it like just a weak part of yourself, it'll never go to, away and you'll take it to your grave. Let me say that again because that is the price of admission to this message this morning. If you do not get authoritative, if you don't get some, some divine anger in you about your own carnal thinking and you deal with it with authority, you will take that carnal thinking to the grave. It will never change. You can't cast it out unless you use the finger of God. So how do we break obsessive carnal thinking? Well, Philippians 4, 6 through 8, a lot of you know this, but, but with the backdrop of what I've said this morning, listen to it with fresh, with fresh ears. Do not be anxious about anything. Instead, in every situation through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, tell your request to God. And the God of peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if something is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. So there it is. He is saying God's peace can be militant. God's peace can be transforming. God's peace can literally dispossess 
cast out, evict carnal thinking from your mind, but there's a couple of things you need to do. Do not be anxious. People that are always worrying, they're leaving the door open for carnal thinking because the worry spirit always looks to the world. How do I solve this problem? What are we going to do? And then it comes up with its own solutions. Do not be anxious. What does he say we should replace that anxiety with? Being on your knees and talking to God about it. Do not be anxious. Go before God. Get a Bible in your lap. Get the promises of God. First, I would recommend learn them. <laughs> it's a good reason why you should know the word. And uh, instead of worrying about situations, come to God and ask him, Lord, I need this. Here's the situation. I ask for your wisdom. Ask for your, and the Bible says if you really do that to the extent that you should be doing it, the peace of God will come in, guard your mind and heart, and that anxiety will not rule your life anymore. Isn't that awesome? Because I know a lot of Christians that are ruled by anxiety. And so they're in this battle. They're kind of praying, and bring, but they're, they're, uh, their prayers oftentimes are hysterical. You know, God, please do something, do something. There's no authority. There's no faith in the authority that they actually have the authority of God to come before him. So what are the things that you do to break obsessive carnal thinking? First of all, don't let your needs fester into anxiety. Instead, ask for God's help. Know what the word says. Ask for God's help. Number two, God sanctifies us with his word, so train your mind on the, those things of virtue according to the scriptures. Receive the scriptures, as Paul said to the Thessalonian church. Receive the scriptures as the word of God. So knowing that God sanctifies and changes and transforms your mind, learn to focus your mind on what is good, what is pure, those things that are, are um, worthy of our meditation. And in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul said this about how we do that. He commended the Thessalonians. He said, when I came to you and I brought you the word of God and you heard me preach the scriptures, you didn't receive it as the opinions of men. See, carnal-minded thinking will always do that. It always be, ah, I don't know. If this suits me, I'll accept it. I'll believe it. You know what I'm saying? It said, he goes on to say, instead, you received what I preached as the word of God to you and not from men, and therefore, it effectively went to work in your life, transforming you. So when people really receive the word of God, instead of just selectively saying, oh, my mind likes that thought. Well, your mind's not going to like the thought that spanks you. <laughs> your mind's going to like the thought that exonerates you. But what is, what is it out of God's word that you need? You need all of it. You need all of it. And if you will receive it, all of it, God, you are right. I am wrong. Deal with me. Knowing that he loves you, that word will work effectively in you. And the, the third thing that I would say about how to break the um, insistence of carnal thinking to rule your mind is this. Since carnal thinking is evidence of a power struggle against your authority as a new creation in Jesus, 
use the gift, the power of repentance against carnal thinking. Attack your carnal thinking with repentance. Stop trying to change your own mind because you're not going to do. You have to break it. You have to use authority. What did Jesus say about the Spirit? I use the, I don't, I don't uh, um, uh, discuss options with demons. You go. There is no discussion. There's no talking. So you need to deal with, if you've got carnal thinking patterns in your mind, you need to go at them with authority. Rebuke your own mind. I spend a lot of time rebuking myself. I do. I use those words. I actually pray and say, Father, I rebuke myself in the name of Jesus. I rebuke that thought that I have. I've had, I've had this thought pattern in my life since I was a little boy, and I'm sick and tired of it. I rebuke it. It is against the Word of God. It is against my identity as a new creation in Christ, and I command you to leave in Jesus' name. I get aggressive, and I go before the cross of Calvary, and I say, Lord, by dying on the cross in my place, you've given me power, transforming power, to rebuke the old man, to rebuke carnal thinking. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, casting down every high thing that opposes the knowledge of God, take every thought captive. Do you, do you see the militancy, militancy in that? Do you see this is not a negotiation? Do you see in that that you're never, maturity, regular maturity is never going to change the pattern of carnality in your mind that keeps you immature, that keeps you carnal. If you want to deal with that, you have to go at it as your biggest enemy. So I guess what I'm talking about is I'm talking about true spiritual warfare. I, you know, there's conferences that have been for decades that, that, that happen all over the place about spiritual warfare. And, oh, you know, the intercessors get together and they're going to bind the enemy and they're going to pull down all the demonic strongholds over this city and that state and all those areas. And I'm not saying anything's wrong about it, but how about let's deal with the spiritual warfare going on in our own minds. If the church would just get rid of the carnal thinking, we wouldn't have to have conferences to attack all these, you know, uh, uh, spirit of this and spirit of that, spirit of the other thing. Why are, they, why are they so close? Why are they so oppressive? Because we've got the world in us. Because we have worldly thinking in us. That's how they can get so close. You show me a church that truly allows transformation to take place, <coughs> excuse me, in the hearts of the people, I'll show you a church that doesn't worry about the devil. Thank you. Praise God. I thought, I thought that was worth at least one amen. So, so, casting down every high thing that opposes the knowledge of God. I think you get the idea. This is our altar call this morning. If you close your Bible and stand with me. Um, today is Communion Sunday. And the way we're going to do this